things get a little bit grim. But this is especially heinous. Did you tell the police that she was murdered, May? Nope. Witchy ghost stuff. Ah! Don't make me scared. A spooky girl amateur hour. How's it going over there? Oh, it's a dream bow over here. I got Rolos. Yeah. You got Floof Cat. I have a big fat Floof Cat sitting here just chilling. He's so sweet. He is so sweet. Being he's such a good Floof. He's being okay. He's, listen, he has this habit. Okay. That I don't know, I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it just irks me. Okay. <laughs> he chews on his toenails. Oh, yeah. You've told me about that. Yeah. And he has been doing it extra uh-huh. lately. And it's just annoying the shit out of it's you. It's annoying the shit because then he'll go like and like spit out pieces of his toenails. So I'm just sweeping up cat toenails. Oh my oh god. Oh gosh. Anyway, I'm it's so okay. sorry. We all have bad habits, and hopefully this is it. This is for the donut boy. Oh god. Uh, I went to go listen to uh, I don't know a video. Uh, probably TikTok. I don't know, but I had I wanted to use my headphones and I keep them like by my nightstand or on my nightstand. So I reached for them and I had one earbud and I couldn't find the other earbud and I was like, what in the heck? What's happening? And I turned my flashlight on and it had gotten chewed off. Oh no! (laughs) Off, severed. And I. Josephine, she's gonna die. She's gonna electrocute herself. What? She's like a hamster. Yeah, just chewing. She's. I mean, she's gonna get electrocuted. She's a goat cat. <sighs> a goat that's been reincarnated as a cat. It's annoying as shit. But I, I'm so sorry. It's fine. That is very pesky of um Josephine. Yeah, little Joe Bean. Oh, well, little string bean. Hello, welcome to a little bit grim. Hi, that's Taylor. That's Jenny on that side of the table, uh, and this is Donut Boy. Sweet donut boy. We need to post a picture of him. We, have, we haven't had a donut cameo in a while. Yeah. Don't. Don't. <laughs> Why are you like this? I'm petting you. He's like, I, I don't know. Oh, are you sorry? We are giving me licks. He um, was surrounded by three. <laughs> um, he was surrounded by three small children yesterday. Uh-huh. And he was on high alert. You are on your worst behavior. As usual. At least he's not chewing on his toenails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so, okay. It's true crime day. It's true crime. And this true crime is particularly, like, uh, it's uh, a little distressing. It's a, it's a little bit grim. Woo woo. So, I read something. Okay. That I think is so cool. Uh-huh. So, back in World War, this is not related to anything. Oh, it's okay. just like a fun fact. <laughs> Is this not leading into your crime? No, no, it's oh, okay. not even related. I just wanted to word vomit it to somebody oh, else okay. who will appreciate it. Yeah. So back in um, World War II days, yeah. there was a 16-year-old boy who had been shuffled around from concentration camp to concentration camp, and his entire family was killed. Ooh. And the final concentration camp that he was at was Dachau. And on the day that the Allies invaded, um, he broke out of the camp and ran. Oh my! And hid in the woods for like three or four days. Yeah. No food, no water, just hiding until he heard a tank. 
coming. Okay. And he came out of his hiding space and was expecting to see Nazis getting ready to, you know, take him back mm-hmm. to a concentration camp. But instead, what he saw was a infantry. Oh. And the tank had the Star of David painted on it. And out of the tank hopped Bill Ellington, who was the son of a slave and the infantry was a almost all black infantry serving in the war. What? And Bill Ellington rescued Sam Pfizer. It's all we'll put his name in the and his he moved to America, became an attorney, uh-huh. and his son is going to be our new Secretary of State. <gasps> I have full body goosebumps. Isn't that amazing? I'm so happy. Oh isn't that amazing? Oh yay. A I little know. bit good. A little bit good. See, it's our bright and shiny. Do you have a bright and shiny? Uh, I mean, a little one, but it's not that do, good. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> we, we do not quantify bright shinies. Yeah, that's true. Uh, my bright shiny is that my cat is now on Prozac. And <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. We are a family of medicated mammals <laughs> in the White House. Are you... <laughs> Assorted medicated creatures yes. living in the in the White House. Yeah. So uh, my only um, fear is that it is making him super, super lethargic. And my litter boxes are upstairs. Oh. And I found who downstairs. Ooh. And that is super unnatural. Like, That's not unnatural. like it's, yeah. That's not like any of them. He was like too tired. I, yeah. I think he might have been too tired to go upstairs. So now I have to keep an eye out for that. Great. But... At least, I, is it helping with all the other issues? Though? I think so. We haven't noticed anything since we started him on it, okay. but we're like two weeks in. So. Okay. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for is my sweet little boy, so he can chill. He has no chill ever. Yeah, no. <sighs> well, are you ready to hear this really awful, awful? You know that I was born ready for it. Awful story. I'm going to do my best to uh, get. Okay. <clears throat> Warning. Oh, this podcast contains strong language, which may be unsuitable for children. Graphic descriptions of animal cruelty, self-harm, violent crimes, and dark humor, which may be unsuitable for adults. Viewer discretion is advised. We should put that in front of all of our episodes. (laughs) That is this trigger warning for this entire episode. I'm so scared. (sighs) Okay. I am going to be covering the vampire killer. I know this, but I don't know. You, I, tell me more. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I'm going to try to guess the story you're about to tell it to me. <laughs> it's awful. Heads up. <laughs> of all of his terrors, and there were many, the greatest fear that plagued Richard Trenton Chase through the mid-1970s was that he was going to disappear. Born in 1950, Richard Chase showed troubling signs at a young age, but his father, a strict and sometimes physically abusive parent, did little to get him help. Chase was disturbed and unhappy as a child. The seeds of his mania appeared to have been planted with the marital strife of his parents, a middle-class Sacramento couple. For the better part of a decade, the mom-and-pop battle raged, and by the time it ended, with the combatants divorced and the father remarried, the boy was showing definite signs that he was out of his mind. Oh, God. <sighs> That's too early. It's too early. That's too early. I don't like definite signs. No, not. That's. Uh, what's. We say like red flags. What's what's the definite red flag? I... What's worse than a red flag? <laughs> a full stop? A full stop flag? Well, 
full stop flag. And there are quite a few. A black flag. <laughs> Wave the black flag. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Uh. Those signs included ordinary acts of rebellion, drinking, drugs, and wild parties. Other actions could not by any stretch be considered ordinary, such as killing small animals and drinking their blood. Oh. He habitually wet the bed, set small fires, and displayed signs of cruelty towards animals. These three habits are sometimes called the McDonald triad or the triad of sociopathy uh, proposed by psychiatrist J.M. McDonald in 1963 as a predictor of sociopathy in a patient. Not good signs. Not good signs. It's a bad triad. It's, yeah. It's icky. Chase developed hypochondria as he matured. He often complained that his heart would occasionally stop beating or that someone had stolen his pulmonary artery. What? He would hold oranges on his head, believing vitamin C would be absorbed by his brain via diffusion. Chase also believed that his cranial bones had become separated and were moving around, so he shaved his head to be able to watch this activity more closely. After leaving his mother's house, believing she was attempting to poison him, Chase rented an apartment with friends. His roommates complained that he was constantly under the influence of alcohol, marijuana, and LSD. Chase would also walk around the apartment completely nude, even in front of company. Uh. Chase's roommates demanded that he moved out, but when he refused, the roommates moved out instead. Once alone in the apartment... Chase began to capture, kill, and disembowel various animals, which he would then devour raw. Oh, I'm so so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with that. He would mix the raw organs with (coughs) Coca-Cola in a blender and drink it. (coughs) Okay. Are you going to throw up on my floor? It's okay if you do. No. Okay. I thought about it, but I'm not going to. I stopped it. I just saw your face... Went very white and then got very red. <laughs> I had a whole range of emotions. Oh, there was a and lot physical reaction. <laughs> I was just very sentence. concerned about you. I'm very glad that I had a trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Chase believed that by ingesting the creatures, he was preventing his heart from shrinking. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. There was a word I was going to say earlier, and I was like, oh my gosh, this child's bizarre. And then the moment passed, and now the moment is so far gone. (laughs) But I swear this was 35 seconds ago. I was like, wow, this child's a little bizarre. Yeah, we got straight up disgusting. Throw away the man. (gasps) Yes, hello. Whole man disposal? Yes, I would like to schedule a pickup. Yes, the whole man. Uh, he also believed everybody was after him. Nazis, the FBI, space aliens, and their weapon was an innocent-looking item in his bathroom. The soap dish. I'm sorry, what? The soap dish. Was a was weapon? A weapon planted by the Nazis, FBI, and space aliens. Oh. It was there that those who wanted to do him in had hidden a secret poison that was slowly turning his blood to powder. In 1976, his attempt to inject rabbit blood directly into his body made him very sick, and he ended up in a mental ward. Chase was promptly diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he underwent a battery of treatments, including psychotropic drugs. Nurses and fellow inmates alike were terrified of him. Absolutely. Soon after he arrived, the staff had given him a fun and fresh new nickname, Dracula. 
mostly due to his favorite pastime of catching and biting the heads off of birds. Oh my god. He also recreationally collected blood from service dogs with discarded syringes that he would steal out of the trash can. Despite that, by 1977, doctors declared him well enough to go about in society. We do not need to be declaring anybody well enough to go on a society who is using dirty needles. Mm -mm. Period. Well, not using dirty needles to steal blood out of a service dog and then drink it. Right. There was just one of many colorful flags that we did. (laughs) We ignored fully. Entirely. Pay attention to the flags. But they said. If he's on his medication, you know, he can participate in society. You and I both know that people with paranoid schizophrenia cannot be trusted in society. No, no, no. We both know this. You cannot trust them to be in control of their medication. No! It's just part of the disease. They won't take it. No, they don't. So, they released him into his mother's custody. She obviously was doing a real stand-up job. Because she immediately started weaning him off of his medication. What the fuck? And got him his own apartment. He initially shared the apartment with roommates before all of them moved out. Probably, again, because he took up his, like, habitual, like, nudity. And just casual drinking blood. Yes. They probably opened the fridge one too many times and had a surprise in there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Can you imagine being one of those roommates today? No. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Like, you are so lucky you didn't get eaten. <laughs> Do you know how close you were? Not a thing that you think you would need to be, like, actively grateful for. <laughs> I want it on my tombstone. Not eaten. Did, did not get eaten. Check. Yes. <laughs> Appreciate it. <sighs> um, thus leaving Chase again on his own, unmedicated. Later investigation uncovered that in mid-1977, Chase was stopped and arrested on a reservation in the Pyramid Lake, Nevada area. His body was smeared with blood and a bucket of blood was found in his truck. The blood was determined to be bovine blood belonging to a cow and no charges were filed. And Chase was sent on his merry way. Before I get extra graphic, I would like to say that I strongly feel that legislation should be passed to criminalize ownership, participation in, or distribution of buckets filled with blood. Uh, Yeah, there needs to be a maximum amount of blood that you can transport oh right there is no holy or unholy reason why you would have a bucket of bovine blood no we gotta ask a lot of questions we are not asking enough questions no if if anybody can think of any non-sus situation where someone can find themselves carrying a bucket of blood like please dm us yeah at us we need to know i would like to know the situation uh i grew up on a farm there was no reason for us to have a bucket of blood. A bucket of blood. Mm-mm. And that's the only thing that I could think that there, like, might be something weird happening on a farm you might need that for. There's not. N- what are you doing? There's nothing. There- mm. Okay. Okay. Big trig right here. All right. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta keep my vomit reflex in check here. Is, yes. Okay. <clears throat> Human sacrifices would start a few months later. On December 29th, 1977. Chase killed his first known victim in a drive-by shooting. The victim, Ambrose Griffin, was a 51-year-old engineer and father of two. I like the name Ambrose. I do, too. I know an Ambrose. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Are they nice? Oh, he's so kind. Oh, I, I love, love Ambrose. I like... It seems like a kind mm-hmm. person. Yeah, he's one of Ryan's friends. You can't be a dick and be named Ambrose. No. 
Chase attempted to enter the home of a woman two weeks later, but because her doors were locked, he walked away. Chase later told detectives that he took locked doors as a sign that he was not welcome, but unlocked doors. No shit! Unlocked doors were an invitation to come inside. Lock your doors. Lock your doors. All of them. Double check them. Feel free. Go ahead and do it. Do it. Just just make sure. You know, I learned something uh, about OCD the other day that I thought was very helpful. What? Uh, people with OCD will lock their door and then take a picture of it and then take, them, take it to bed with them. <gasps> so then when they get, get the urge, they can just check the phone and see the door is locked. I and love- You need to do that with your oven. <laughs> <sighs> I do. I need to go to therapy about that. I think you have a really big fear of burning your house down. I do. I've never been in a house fire. No, I think that you, you, here's my theory and I am not a psychologist or a therapist. So this is just (laughs) the random thoughts that I have. Floaters. Floaters in the brain soup. So your life has never been as together Mm -hmm. as it is right now. Correct. And there is a big fear of that ending. And I think that you are afraid of causing that ending. And I think that you are afraid of burning your house down literally. (laughs) Oh, well, who needs therapy when I have you? Thank no, you. That's exactly, honestly, though, that's exactly what it is. I am <laughs> just, always. I'll take $160. I just, <laughs> you can call Cigna and ask for that yourself. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. So. Back so, to this horrible story. God, that was a nice little deterrent for a second. <sighs> um, okay. So unlocked doors were an invitation to come inside. Yeah. He was once caught and chased off by a couple returning home as he pilfered their belongings. He had also urinated and defecated on their infant child's bed and clothing. What? Yeah. The first body to be discovered was on January 23rd, 1978, when truck driver David Wallen, 24, returned from work to his North Sacramento home to find his pregnant wife, Teresa, 22, murdered. Her torso slid open. That morning, Chase had broken into the house and shot Teresa, three months pregnant, three times. He then had sexual intercourse with her corpse while stabbing her with a butcher knife. He then removed multiple organs, eating bits and pieces of what he removed, cut off one of her nipples, and drank her blood using a yogurt container as a goblet. Oh, God. He stuffed dog feces from Wallen's yard down her throat before (gasps) leaving. How horrible. Mm-hmm. The- Police worked together with the newly established FBI Behavioral Science Unit to come up with a profile of the killer. Uh, recalled Robert Ressler in his 1993 book, Whoever Fights Monsters, My 20 Years Tracking Serial Killers for the FBI. Ressler and colleague Russ Vorpegel, I'm sorry if I butchered that, uh, sketched a close likeness of Chase, a scrawny young loner, unkempt, dirty, and disorganized, subsisting on someone else's money. The profile was, as it would come, as it would become clear later, very accurate, but it didn't come quickly enough to prevent further tragedy. Four days after the Wallen murder, Sacramento police were investigating another gory crime scene. Evelyn Maroth, 38, a divorcee and mother of three. Her friend, Daniel Meredith, 52, and Evelyn's son, Jason Maroth, 6, were found shot with a 22 and slashed. I think it's really weird that he shoots them first. Mm-hmm. So are they dead by the time all of this starts happening, or are they just suffering from gunshot wounds? Yeah, they are 
dead with like a fatal gunshot and then he mutilates their body. Huh. Okay. But That's... I don't and like I know I watch a lot of criminal minds, so of course <laughs> I have a doctorate in psychology. A hundred percent. But I don't a lot of this, the need for him to kill is not about like inflicting pain. Right. It's he needs to do it to survive. Yeah. To like drink their blood and survive off their organs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of serial killers that I've I guess read about that for them the highest moment of killing is watching the life leave somebody's, somebody's... body and that's not this guy. This guy Mm-mm. just he needs their blood. The... Oh. Okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. I signed up for this. I did mm-hmm. it to myself. <laughs> Another boy, David Ferriera, Maroth's 22-month-old nephew, had been left in his aunt's care that day. He was missing, and there was a large blood stain in his crib. The child's decapitated corpse would be found months later. Wow. Like the first victim, Maroth's body had been mutilated, her torso ripped open, and partially consumed. Unlike Wallen, however, she had also been sodomized. Oh, a visitor's knock on the door startled Chase, who fled and married this car, taking Ferreira's body with him. The visitor alerted a neighbor, who called police. They discovered that Chase had left perfect handprints and shoe imprints in Maroth's blood, and he was arrested shortly afterwards. Police who searched Chase's apartment found that the walls, floor, ceiling, refrigerator, and all of Chase's eating and drinking utensils were soaked in blood. After his arrest, Chase granted a series of interviews with Robert Ressler, during which he spoke of his fears of Nazis and UFOs, claiming that although he had killed, it was not his fault. He had been forced to kill to keep himself alive, which he believed any person would do. He asked Ressler to give him access to a radar gun with which he could apprehend the Nazi UFOs so that the Nazis could stand trial for the murders. He also handed Ressler a substantially large amount of macaroni and cheese, which he had been hoarding in his pants pocket. Believing that the prison officials were in league with the Nazis and attempting to kill him with poisoned food. In 1979, Chase stood trial on six counts of murder in order to avoid the death penalty. The defense tried to have him found guilty on second degree murder, which would have resulted in a life sentence. I'm surprised he was found competent to stand trial. Their case hinged on Chase's history of mental illness and the suggestion that his crimes were not premeditated. Okay. So. And I wonder this, if that, like, insanity plea came after this time period. So, on May 8th, okay. 1979, the jury found Chase guilty of six counts of first-degree murder and, rejecting the argument that he was not guilty by reason of insanity, sentenced him to die in the gas chamber. Okay. His fellow inmates, aware of the extremely violent nature of his crimes, feared him and, according to prison officials, often tried to persuade Chase to commit suicide. Wow. On December 26, 1980, Chase was found in his cell, dead. An autopsy found that he had followed the advice of his fellow inmates and he had committed suicide with an overdose of prescribed antidepressants that he had saved over several weeks. And that is the no good, rotten, awful story of the vampire killer. Wow. I did not know anything about that. Sick. <laughs> Real sick shit. Wow. That's, that's pretty dark. That's about as dark... I mean, I'm sure that there are more dark crimes, but that's pretty... That's up there. That's pretty up there. It's up there. Yeah. I'm going to give that like an almost Terry, Terrio, Roche, Roche Terry. Yeah. The Anne Hill kids. Yep. God, I still think about that call and it gets me. <laughs> I know. I do. <laughs> 
Hi there, I'm Megan. And I'm Danielle. And we are Crime and Roses. We are a true crime and bachelor franchise recap podcast. Yeah, we're both. We are two Georgia attorneys watching and recapping all things Bachelor just for you. So we're talking Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Winter Games, Summer Games, all the games. Basically any show that ABC comes up with and forces us to watch. And then we'll release a true crime episode connected to what we've seen on the show that week. So if you don't like true crime, we have The Bachelor. And if you don't like The Bachelor, we have true crime. And if you don't like either... We're probably not the podcast for you, and that's okay. So, if you're into one of those things, both of those things, come check us out as we combine our two favorite things into one-stop listening shop for you. So find us on your favorite podcatcher and on social media at Crime and Roses, and email us at crimeandroses at gmail.com. Bye! Love you, mean it! All right, so my uh, true crime, when I first started looking for a story, I was excited about finding this one because I thought it was going to have a happy ending, which is not normal for crime. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that it, that's not the case. I can't say that this is a happy ending. However, nobody dies. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Eh. Uh, we got to take what we can get It's here. neutral ground. <laughs> yeah. Uh, desperation can put ideas into our head that normally wouldn't be there. It can also make people act on those ideas and urges when they normally would not even consider going to such lengths. And this is what happened to Gloria Williams when she had a miscarriage in July of 1998. Mm. Gloria Williams and her boyfriend Charles Manigo were expecting a child in the summer of 1998, and Charles was abusive. I couldn't find any details on uh, the abuse itself, just that he was abusive. He had two sons from a previous relationship that were taken away from him due to unsafe living environment. And Gloria really felt pressured to have a child and was very happy to be pregnant. Unfortunately, around the beginning of July, uh, she suffered a miscarriage. Mm. Uh, A quote from Gloria says, My abusive ex asked me to have a baby. He wanted me to have a baby, told me that it would make him stable. I wanted to believe that. And she never told a soul about the miscarriage. And her body still showed the signs of pregnancy due to pseudokysis, a phantom pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, Her family never suspected that she lost the baby. She just kind of kept up the ruse. Mm. Okay. She continued to work at the VA center in South Carolina and kept telling her coworkers that the baby would be here any day. On July 10th, Gloria left work and decided to take a little drive. She said she drove to the University Medical Center, now the UF Health in Jacksonville, on autopilot and decided to uh, pull in and look at the infants in the nursing ward uh, because she she worked at the clinic she had on green scrubs and a floral scrub shirt. Gloria wandered into the room of Shannara Mobley. Shannara was 15 years old and had just given birth to a baby girl named Kamaya. Gloria said that Shannara Mobley opened up about not knowing what to do about her child uh, because she was so young. At this point, Gloria is impersonating a nurse and is drumming up a friendship with Shannara. She's helping her out. She's making sure she's comfortable. She's found an extra pillow in the room. She's lifted her legs. She's given her, like, advice about babies. Oh, my God. Yeah. Gloria tells Shannara to get some rest while she takes Kamaya up to get some shots and tells her that she'll return with her in just a few minutes. 
Velma Aiken, Kamaya's paternal grandmother, comes into the room just as Gloria is asking her and um, Gloria is able to... I'm sorry. Uh, She comes into the room just as Gloria is taking her and she's able to sneak past Velma with a simple explanation that she's taking the child for shots and she'll be right back. After she leaves Shannara's room, Gloria quickly puts the baby into her oversized purse and just pieces out of the hospital. What? She just leaves. With her baby in a bag. Yep. Okay. Bloop. Listen, if you think I'm putting a newborn in my Kate Spade, you are mistaken. (laughs) Sorely mistaken. (laughs) Uh, Shannara was interviewed and was begging for the safe return of her daughter. The description of the abductor was a woman between 25 and 35 years old and possibly wore a pair of glasses and a wig. She was dressed in a floral blue smock and green scrub pants. Because there were no photos of Kamaya before she was taken, she's eight hours old. Oh, my God. They had to create a digital composite for the media. Wow. Yeah. It, it's not great. I won't lie. I can't imagine. The abduction made national headlines. They brought in helicopters and other maternity wards around Florida and enhanced their security immediately, but the child was not located. Mm. So Kamaya was raised by Gloria uh, as her own daughter for the next 18 years. Whoa. Mm-hmm. She got away with it? Yep. What? Yeah. Well, she lived in South Carolina. She was in Florida. So she drove like 200 miles. Oh, my God. Yep. And there wasn't enough information about her to get her by the time. And by the, because she said, I'll be back in 15, 20 minutes, it gave her enough time to completely leave the hospital before anyone even started looking. Oh, my God. And, you know, you know how hospitals work. Yeah. If, if they say 15 minutes, it isn't actually a whole hour. Let's not get it twisted. Nay, nay. So she calls down and says, where is my daughter? Um, her grandmother is here and wants to see her. And they, of course, are like, uh, we, I don't, you give me have. one second. Let me put you on hold. <laughs> and so they all have to scramble around downstairs to find out where the, where the baby is. Not there. Then they have to go back upstairs, talk to Kamaya, fi- or talk to uh, Shannara, find out what happened. And then by that point, probably two hours have passed. Oh my God. Before the hospital gets locked down. So, it's yeah. It's too she, late. She just dipped. Dipped out. Baby in a bag. Yeah. So, I talked to my friend Skylar about this because this is one of those stories that I was like, I know it. Now you have to know it. Mm-hmm. Kabam, it's on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Skylar has had two children and uh, is carrying a third. And she said now, like, as soon as the baby pops out, they get slapped with a wristlet. And they will tell you, like, you cannot, like, if you want to go wander, like, that's fine. You have to let me know. Because if you take the baby out of the room, the entire hospital gets shut down. Mm-hmm. Elevators don't work. Doors lock. <gasps> it is full on lockdown if the baby leaves the room. Whoa. It's like yeah. a house arrest for babies. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm not mad at it. No, I was, uh, honestly, this is 1998. What? <laughs> what? Okay. All right. Wild times. Uh, So Gloria renamed Kamaya Alexis Kelly Manigo. Gloria looked at the little girl and decided that she did not deserve to live with an abusive, um, live in an abusive home and decided to leave Charles and start a new life with a baby. Uh, By Kamaya's testimony, she lived a very normal, regular life with Gloria. 
Uh, she never expected that her mom could have committed this kind of a crime. Holy God. Yeah. She had a completely normal childhood. Talk about having an identity. Okay, keep going. Keep yeah. Going. Uh, oh my fucking God. She, uh, she ra- was raised along Gloria's other children, so she has siblings she's being raised with. What? Uh, you can't ima- I can't do- imagine waking up one day and having all of this attention on you. Like, your parents are your parents and your siblings are your siblings. SOS. <laughs> I... No. Oh, my God. Did they look alike? No, not really. Okay. But not... Not, like, anything that would be alarming. Right. Kamaya finally learned of her identity when she was 16 and was trying to get a driver's license. Oh. Can't have a driver's license if you don't have a social security number. Oh, yeah. Boo. <laughs> How did, yeah, how do you work around that? So she had, Gloria had enough paperwork forged in order to get her into school. So they had, I, I don't even know what they had, but she was able to get into school, basically. Okay. But that was all she had to do. Um, and I guess see a doctor. But, you know, that's, I don't know. I mean, how often does somebody ask you to show your social security card in, like, regular life if you're not getting your license? Right. Uh, so. In order to have a license, you have to have a social security card, birth certificate, and, you know, proof of who you are. (laughs) She didn't have any of that. So Gloria was backed into a corner and had to tell Kamaya the truth. Uh, Kamaya had a good relationship with her mom and decided not to tell anyone the truth. What? Yeah. So she found out when she was 16, and this story doesn't come out until she's 18, two years later. Okay. Okay. Eventually, though, she did tell a friend, and shortly after that, things started to unravel. Oh, God. A year and a half after Gloria told Kamaya the truth, uh, she was summoned to Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and she knew what was going on. Like, she knew exactly what was about to happen. Kamaya actually told Gloria to make a run for it and not go. Uh, But Gloria felt like this uh, had been going on too long, and she finally needed to just come clean. After a series of tips to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Kamaya was brought in for a DNA testing, and they found out that her DNA matched a sample taken from the baby girl before she went missing. Gloria Williams was arrested and charged with kidnapping and interfering with custody. Holy yeah. mackerel. Kamaya, still going by Alexis at this point, was incredibly overwhelmed. Uh, this whole life she knew was changed forever. Mm. So she was described to be in good health physically and mentally. She was a normal child. Yeah, she was just a girl. Yeah. She grew up uh, completely the way anybody else would. Uh, not the idea that we normally have of kidnapping victims, you it's know? It's not like she was chained in a basement yeah. and given, like, bread crust. Yeah. Uh, she had recently graduated from Colleton County High School and had a steady boyfriend. Uh, the evening after Gloria was arrested, she FaceTimed with her biological father and grandmother. <laughs> I can't imagine. It sounds awful. Whoa. Uh, so that was Velma from the hospital. Okay. Uh, Velma said it was like she'd known them forever. She didn't talk to them like she had just met them. Uh, she seemed very comfortable with them. And so to Velma, she was like, our baby girl, she's back. She's here. She's with us. She's wanted this as much as we have. Mm. But she just found out all of this is happening. She's 18. Yeah. Gloria was extradited from South Carolina back to Florida, and she had a prior record for truck fraud and welfare fraud. But Kamaya insists that she was raised with everything she needed and didn't see her mom as a felon. She went to go visit Gloria at the correctional facility. And when she saw her, Kamaya cried out, Mama. Oh. 
Uh, and at this point, her biological mom um, is there. Okay. So Gloria pleaded guilty to kidnapping and offered a full apology to Shannara Mobley. It's heartbreaking to watch. Mm. I mean, she, I'll get into it, but, you know, she's going through, she had just gone through a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And so she was going through postpartum depression. Yeah. And you have to think, she made one decision that wasn't an immediate repercussion. Right. She lived with this for 18 years. I can't imagine the guilt. No. And the, oh, shit moments that she's had as this child grew up during the trial gloria looked at kamaya and said i will always love you always but you're not mine your mother and father are sitting right here and kamaya said that she hoped gloria would not get a long sentence uh she knew that the crime a crime was committed and punishment would be rendered but she was hoping that it would be a short term yeah uh, in June of 2018 she was sentenced to 18 years in prison yikes yeah Quite a long time. That is quite but a long you time. You kidnapped a baby, so. You, you did break into a hospital and steal somebody's kid, so, like, I get it. Right. Uh, she tried to appeal, saying the sentence was equal to cruel and unusual punishment, and the punishment didn't match the crime. She says that due to the miscarriage, she was suffering from postpartum depression, uh, like I said, and was not of sound mind when she took the child. Yeah. Uh, she was not successful in her appeal. Mm. Shannara was awarded $1.5 million in a settlement from the University Medical Center. Whoa. Which, I mean, that's great, but also your child is gone. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of people to blame here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kamaya and her families have a lot to process, and she was raised with Gloria's family. She was treated well, had all the things she loved and needed. Suddenly, she didn't have any of that anymore. Mm. Uh, when her world turned upside down, people expected her to go running to her biological family, but that's just not what happened. That's not her, to her. That's not her family. It's not her family. She hasn't right. ever spent a day in her life with them. It's like she's being put up for adoption at 18. Yeah. It's like when you get on Ancestry.com and you find out you have a new first cousin somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to cold call you and invite you to Christmas, probably. Like, no. have fun being somewhere else. For being on the flip side of that. <laughs> <laughs> from finding my birth father's family on uh-huh. 23 and me they were all very excited yeah and i and i on the other not that i wasn't excited i was excited to know mm-hmm. but i can i can see both sides of this. both sides of that yeah. where they're so excited because they've been missing somebody their whole life but like she just found out that mm-hmm. yeah, oh god yeah oh it's sticky oh it's a sticky situation yeah mm-hmm her father and grandmother had a softer approach, which she seemed to appreciate a lot more. Uh, her mother was desperate to have them have her in their lives. Mm. She fought for Kamaya every single day, and it hurt her deeply that oh. Kamaya still called Gloria mom. She was also extremely disappointed when she found out that Kamaya knew she was abducted for over a year and didn't rush to be with her biological family. Ooh. This is going to be, this is hurtful. Okay. Uh, in one interview, Shannara said, I don't deal with disrespect. I wish they never would have found her. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. This is when I was like, this is not a happy ending. No. You wanted it to be. Yeah. Wanted. Oh. Yucky. <gasps> she Ew, also. shut. No wonder you're. No. Mm. It's about to just get a little tiny bit tad worse. Okay. She also said this to Kamaya. If you want to be Alexis, be Alexis. If you want to be her child, be her child. This is the battle that I can't keep fighting. This is a battle that nobody is going to win. Cool. Like, did you expect for her Mm -hmm. to just drop her entire life 
and come be yeah yeah i i I can't imagine in i imagine in shanara's head she thought her daughter was probably being treated poorly didn't have a good life Mm -hmm. was chained in a basement somewhere needed to be rescued Mm -hmm. and that's not what her life was like no and now she found her daughter she found her life's work Mm -hmm. and her daughter's just like hi I don't, I, I don't love you. No. I don't love you. What do you want from me? Right. That's a lot to ask for a child. Yes. So obviously that, uh, Kamara didn't feel great about that. And the two <laughs> went a long time without speaking. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now Kamaya is 21 years old and she has moved in with her biological father, Craig Aiken. And he posted on his Facebook saying, listen up, just got wonderful news, and I need y'all's support. Kamaya is moving down here with me and this weekend, and I'm excited. This is a big step for both of us. If you are happy as we are, help me welcome Kamaya to Jacksonville. Aw. And then I went down a Facebook rabbit hole. Oh, God. Oh, God, Taylor's about to make it real. Yep. Uh, okay, so. Lifetime has a series of movies called Ripped from the Headlines, and they made a movie about Kamaya's story called Stolen by My Mother, the Kamaya Mobley story, and they were planning this big premiere in New York City. Mm-hmm. And Craig posted a status saying, I don't even know how I found this, but I found it. Uh, I'm already hearing Lifetime have destroyed Kamaya's story, and you give them a true story and they tell a lie. I just hope everybody can tell the difference between the fact and fiction. Shake my motherfucking head. <laughs> <laughs> smh yeah it's s-m-m-f-h <laughs> shake my motherfucking head yeah <laughs> same <laughs> can we get a t-shirt that says that i, I highly S-M-M-F-H. agree uh then he posted screenshots of him talking with one of the producers oh he's got receipts yes he does and telling them that uh he did they did not like how they portrayed portrayed Kamaya. The producer responded by saying uh, he sent or she sent a note to Lexi Alexis Kamaya <laughs> saying, mm-hmm. Dear Lexi, I'm going to take one last shot and try to convince you before we head to the airport. I saw the film. Despite your feelings, which I hope will change over time, I think you should come to New York. Hold up your head high and bask in your moment of glory. We'll all be there celebrating you. And you never know who you may meet. The perfect man, your new boss, an admissions director oh, at the perfect up. college. Oh, my God. Are we really emotionally manipulating a baby child? Yes. Fully. (sighs) You just never know what magic you will find. And when you put yourself out there. And then he thumbs down reacted it. (gasps) (laughs) 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 And then he posted all these screenshots on Facebook. I love him. I love Craig. (laughs) Love Craig. Uh, they ended up going to a private viewing party in Jacksonville. Okay. Kamaya has two Facebook accounts. Okay. Uh, Are you about to just air all of her personal stuff right here on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, okay. She's doing it on her own. You just go find her. Okay. Uh, she has two Facebook accounts that she uses frequently. While I was researching, she posted once on Kamaya's page and another one on Alexis's page. Oh, she's got two identities? Yes. Okay. She goes by both. Names. Okay. Uh, she often shares posts from one account to the other. So you can see Kamaya will share Alexis's thing. I grew up on Facebook. <laughs> okay, I'm almost done. Hold okay. On. Uh, Kamaya was on a talk show on the OWN Network. Mm-hmm. O-N- 
OWN network, and she went off. Lost her goddamn mind. Which I don't fully blame her for, but it's just really sad that they put an 18, 19, 20-year-old in a position to lose her mind on television. Mm -hmm. And then aired it. After her entire life has already been made a spectacle of. And it's really... If I mean, if you were to catch me on my worst day, I would be very horrible to watch as well. But she, I, it wasn't full of grace. Okay. Let me say that. I can't imagine that anything you do could be filled with grace if you are feel like people are parading you and exploiting you. Yeah, and the host, in my opinion, was being condescending AF. She was really? being like, she was like, you have to let this anger go. You just have to let no, that go. Get, no, get, shut up. Fuck off. Like, go see a therapist, right. first of all. So I have issues with the whole thing. I have issues with her family telling her that she should go be on this show when she has enough to deal with, enough to work through. I think that she should have just gone to see a personal therapist to work mm. through all of this. But hey, it's your moment. Uh, and then Kamaya is saying she's going to stab a bitch over and over again. <laughs> and like, her dad is trying to like hold her down. She's like 5'2". <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to stab this bitch. <laughs> Oh my it's god. It's so messy. It's so messy. It's so-, <laughs> <sighs> so all in all, there's a lot of work to be done on all sides of the story, and we are never going to get a true happy ending, unfortunately. But that is the kidnapping of Kamaya Mobley. I hope Kamaya Alexis Lexi finds peace. I do too. She deserves that. Mm-hmm. But everything that I've seen, uh, things seem to be going better for her now that she's moved in with her biological father Good. down in Jacksonville. But yeah, that's my story. That was a roller coaster. <laughs> it's not what I was hoping for. I was really hoping for kind of a lighthearted true crime today. Mm-hmm. And I got super into the story by the time I actually started writing it. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is too good to not tell. So... It, I mean, it's we gotta not, go. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta just we're talk just gonna about stick it. to it. Yeah, it's fine. I like it. It's That's fine. a good job. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, and thank you for listening. Yeah, to our jibber jabber. Yeah, all the time, every day, every, <laughs> every Friday at least. <laughs> at least, at least once a week. Yeah, maybe more. We don't know. Uh, if you are, if you have a story you want to tell us, you can do that, and you can send it to a little bit grim at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can find us on all kinds of social media, Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook. Join the meme dump. Yeah, it's a great time. We're a lot of fun. Good stuff. Email us your weird, spooky stories. Did you commit a crime? Have a crime committed against you? Tell us about it. A little bit grim at gmail.com. We'll, we'll tell it to everybody else. Yeah, we'll tell your, your business to everybody else. <laughs> that's our, that's our forte. We love that. It's literally the entire premise of the podcast. <laughs> Listen to the shit that happened to this lady. Are we just gossiping? Yeah. Okay. Probably. Cool. Okay. I like it. We're going to keep doing it. Gossip girl. Love A. (laughs) XOXO. All right. Be nice to each other and do kind things in the world. Goodbye. Goodbye.